0: to give you. Um, I took down a couple notes of where I think we may go, and who knows, I may not even go there, but I just feel that there's something else that God wants to uh, hit home tonight, and um, and so that's kind of where we're going to go. So uh, if you'll just bear with me, uh, it might kind of seem like I'm all over the place a little bit, but just kind of bear with me, and um, uh, I-, I promise that we will get the message home, what God wants to say. Amen. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, 1, or 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. Um, there was kind of an overall theme last week that kept standing out for me uh, during the ministry and, and during uh, the times that ministers were, were preaching and speaking to us and um, I'm going to kind of pull out what one of those overall themes is, but God keeps bringing up this other thing with me. And I, there's someone here, even if it's just one person here tonight, there's someone here that it's going to minister to. Um, so I I, I just uh, can tell you just to, just to suck it for what it's worth, just to draw on it. And um, it, it's going to help whoever that is. It may be one person, it may be everybody in this room. Um, I believe as a whole... Uh, We're all kind of in this position, um, especially Christians and believers, um, and that is in a position of just tiredness and weariness. Anybody there? Is it just me? Am I the only one that's just in in a moment where you just, I'm tired, I'm weary, uh, there's a heaviness, um, and, and what do I do to get past it? What do I do to push through it? What do I do? Um, to 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 see God work in my life, um, and that's kind of where God just keeps leading me. And um, so I'm going to pull out a couple stories here. And um, probably after I read these stories, you'll think my situation's nothing like that, and um, I've got it really good. You know, it's funny when when you look at the the struggles and the things that men of faith in the Bible went through, it really puts you in your place. <laughs> uh, God told me this a while back when I was doing a study on faith. He said a lot of people want to have great faith, but they don't want a great they don't want the great child trials to use the great faith in. Uh, we want to have great faith and when you look at men of faith in the Bible, when you look at Noah, when you look at Moses, when you look at Abraham, when you look at Joseph and Joshua, David uh, you know, when you look at Jesus, when you look at the disciples, we look at Paul, all from the beginning to the end, you see these people using this faith um, for just unreal stuff. That I mean, I don't know about you, but God has not told me to build a boat when there is no rain in sight, when no one even knows what rain is. I don't know about you, but God has not told me to take my son and put him up on a burning uh, altar and sacrifice him and go all the way up to the knife getting ready to go through his chest and then stop me. Um, I've never tried to walk on water. I've never been asked to walk on water. Um, I've never laid hands on a lame person and seen him stand up. I've never been thrown in prison and had to continue to attest to my faith, regardless of what they said they were going to do to me. They're beheading people. They're beating people. They're throwing them in prison. They're killing their families. And you still say, I trust and believe in God. I don't know about you, but I've never been in any of those dire situations. Uh, you know, my computer sometimes is slow. Uh, Facebook isn't as fast as I want it to be. My cell phone crashes sometimes. Uh, I get, I hit a red light when I need a green light. Um, people are driving really slow in front of me. Uh, you know, it's really hot outside. My AC's not kicking on fast enough. I mean, these are the situations I deal with on a daily basis. People talk bad about me or they want to talk behind my back and I act like the world's going to end because one person said something mean about me. But these people in the Bible had to exercise real, true faith. And their situations are real. This is the real deal. And I'm not trying to put anybody's situation down. I'm not trying to say you're a whip or you're a weakling because I'm in the same boat. That these are the everyday situations that we deal with. But the tiredness and the heaviness and the weariness is what I want to approach tonight. But you're probably not going to get the answer you want. Probably not going to get the answer that, you know, God's there for you and he just wants you to hang in there. And one day he's going to pull you out of the muck and the mire and and you're going to see glory land forever. And that's not where I'm going to go tonight. Um, So don't be surprised when I go there. Uh, but I am going to go to a, a place of victory. And I am going to go to a place of you are going to come out of it and you're going to see yourself in a completely different situation. You're going to see God answering all your prayers. You're going to see uh, family members coming to the Lord. You're going to see job situations lining up. You're going to see finances coming in order. You're going to see your priorities begin to take shape. And that's where we're going to go tonight. So let's look at this in 1st Kings. I keep saying Corinthians. I still think I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit, but obviously God hasn't shaken that out of me yet. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, Jimmy, I'm going to start with verse 1. If you can uh, back up there and start with verse 1, and we'll go down from there. Verse 1 says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God Israel lives... Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he's calling a drought on the land, according to God. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to to feed you there. So Elijah has just called down a drought upon the land by God. Why? Because there is a king that's ruling over the land that is not following after God. Um, the wrath of God is not God bringing evil upon people. Let me get this straight, real quick. When when you see the wrath of God in the Bible, that's not Him striking lightning on people or you know giving them leprous things or, you know, destroying their families. That's not what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is when he pulls himself away from someone. And when you come outside of the covering of God, the enemy has all access Now, see, we may have come out of churches or we may have interpreted this as God took my family member or God put this sickness on me or God is trying to teach or I was in sin and I wasn't following God, so God put this on me. No, the, the enemy is the one, the Bible is very clear, that came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. God, being a good God, is incapable of doing any kind of evil action. The enemy is evil. But when you pull yourself out from under the covering of God, you open yourself up to the attacks of the enemy. A lot of people want to pull on Job. How many of you have heard the story of Job? Job was a righteous man, and he served God, and he followed God, and... So Satan goes to the heavens, goes up to God and says, Do you see your man Job? He walks faithfully. He's done nothing wrong. But I promise you, if you let me do something to him, that he will turn his back against you. It wasn't God taking away his children. First, he hit his family, took away all his oxen, took away all his sheep, took away his home, uh, took away his uh, family members, took all that away, killed his sons, killed his daughters. Okay, And we've interpreted this as God did these things, but God did not do these things. Job still did not say anything bad about God, did not turn away from God. And so Satan said, look, if you let me touch his body, I promise you he'll curse you. I promise you he'll, he'll have some bad things to say about you. And so he did. He put boils on him. He put him into to, to pain and turmoil and anguish. And... Still, Job wouldn't curse, but Job did have the conversation with God. And Job said, that which I have feared has come upon me. And see, we're looking at this as if God put all these things on him. Here's the one thing. If Job would have stayed in his position with God, the enemy would have had no area to attack him. But Job himself said, the thing that I have feared the most. So what opened up the door for Satan to come in and attack him? Fear. He just lets you know, all my life I've been in fear that everything that I have could be in a split second taken away from me. And so fear opened up the door. So the wrath of God is not God doing evil things. It's God withdrawing himself from you. That is the wrath of God. Anytime you look in the Old Testament, you can understand that interpretation, that God has withdrawn himself, taken his covering away from someone. So this is a king that has chosen to follow evil, has gods and is worshiping gods and setting up gods. And so God is now about to show you, I'm pulling myself, I'm pulling my covering away from you. Drought is going to cover your land. Let's keep going. Verse... Five. So, God is telling Elijah, go to this brook, go to this specific place, and I will make, you can drink from the Jordan, and I will have birds feed you. I don't know about you, but I haven't been fed by a bird lately. Okay? Verse 5, so he went and did what? According to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. But look at this, verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. So we see here that Elijah is obedient to do as God has told him to do. Although God has withdrawn himself from the country, he is still keeping his man safe. Go to this brook, drink from the brook, and I will send birds to feed you. So Elijah is still under that covering. But here's where a lot of us get messed up, is God is doing something for us. And God is uh, making provision for us. But then in verse 7, the brook dried up. And now he's about to send him somewhere else. And what I want to point out here real quick is that God may be providing for us from one avenue, but we have to be open to change and allow God to meet our need through any avenue necessary. Now, he's about to send Elijah to a worse situation. I mean, he's got it made. He's hiding at this brook. He's hiding from the king. I mean, you tell me. You go before a king and you, you tell him that there's going to be a drought on your land until I tell you the rain's going to come, and tell me that king is not going to be looking for your head. So he's hiding for the, he's hiding from the king, and he is being provided for by God. But now the brook, the very provision uh, that God had for him, has been dried up, and he no longer has access. Look at this in verse eight. Now, look where God sends him. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "Arise, go to Zarephath." which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to to provide for you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, notice here, he asked for a cup of water. And what did she do? She went to get it. Sometimes God will ask us to do things that are easy. God says, bring me the tithe. Okay, God, that's easy. I can bring you 10% of everything I make. But look what he does. He stops her and says, wait, go get me some bread. Go make me some bread. Now, this is pushing the limits. Look at this in verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful, a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. He's been sitting by a brook, having plenty to drink. He's had birds feeding him meat and bread in the morning and at night. That's pretty supernatural. That's pretty awesome. And a lot of us get into supernatural provision by God or where we're weary or where we're tired or feeling heavy and God is providing for us supernaturally and then he cuts that off and says, okay, now do this. Notice here, and we're about to see it, that he didn't have Elijah move just for the sake of moving. He said, I've been providing for you, but you've been helping nobody out. Now he's about to put him in a situation where he can help somebody else out. Now I don't know about you, but this has got to be pretty rough for Elijah. He's had this brook, he's had these birds feeding him, he's had all the food and water that he needs, and he is hid from the king that's looking for his life. Now God sends him. Not only does God send him, but God is sending him to a sorry person. He shows up to this lady's house, and she does not even have bread for herself. If I were Elijah, I'd be thinking, are you kidding me? I had it made in the shade. Now you want to send me to this lady's house who's telling me she's going to bake a cake for her and her son and die? This is the provision you have for me? This is what you want me to go to? This is how you're going to provide for me? That would be my thought process. Sorry, I'm not as spiritual as Elijah here. And we'll find out he wasn't as spiritual as we all think either. But we get in these situations where God is providing for us and we've got it made, and then all of a sudden he starts shifting things up. And not only does he shift things up, but then he puts people around us that need what we have. And I I need, I need, I'm the one that needs food. I mean, you've been providing for me. But when he was sitting by the brook, he's helping nobody. And you're going to find out in life, especially going to church here, that God wants us helping other people. I mean, that's why this church is here. This church is not here so I can teach you how to get spiritually fat and just live off of God always blessing us and do nothing for anybody else. God has blessed us to be a blessing. You know why I think, you know why I believe God had Elijah sitting by the brook first? He wanted to first prove that I can take care of you. That's not the hard thing. That's nothing. I mean just think if he would have said, "Okay, command this command this drought to take place and then go straight to the widow's house." And he has you see there's something awesome about God's faithfulness. I heard a, I heard someone say once that God, he cannot remember our past. God does not remember your past. Why do we have a past then? Why am I able to remember? You know why? Because it gives you the opportunity to look back on what God brought you out of. Your past is not there to haunt you. Your past is there to position you to move forward. To remember what God did. God brought me out of that, so he'll bring me out of this. God took care of me here, so he will take care of me here. That's why we remember our past. Without God's faithfulness, you have nothing to look back on. So Elijah is able to approach this widow, even though it's a worse situation than he just had. He had it made. He had everything he needed to drink. He had everything he needed to eat. But there was one thing missing. He was helping nobody. And see, in our tiredness, and in our weariness, and in our heaviness in life, we get caught up on ourselves. God, help me. God, fix me. God, change me. But the reason that He needs to fix you and help you and change you is because He needs to get us in position to help and fix and change somebody else. God wants to reveal His glory inside of you so you can reveal God's glory to someone else. And so that's what's happening here. He's just revealed to Elijah, I can take care of you. That is nothing. I can give you water to drink in the middle of a drought. I can give you food to eat when you have no grocery store nearby. He had nowhere he could go to get food. So what does he do? He brings it to him by a bird. So now when it's time for Elijah to be in position to help somebody else, guess what? He's able to do it. And so now he's pushing the widow lady. Get me a cup of water to drink. Okay, I can do that. Wait, make me a cake. What's he doing? He's I'm gonna find out where you're really hurting. See, a lot of times we don't want we don't want God and we don't want other people to find out where we're really hurting. We want to be able to do the easy part. We wanna be able to do what's natural. I can do that. I can believe God for that. God is, God is stretching me. I'm, I'm telling you right now, um, you know, when I went to this conference and after I left, I thought I had vision for this church. I, I thought I had it. It's funny because just a couple weeks ago, I spent some time and I just wrote down goals that I had for 2012. How many people I wanted to see in here. Uh, things that I wanted added, events that I wanted to do, uh, parts of town that I wanted to get into and be an influence. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a good set of goals. And then I go to this conference and they just blew it out the water. I'm here trying to believe for 12 new families. And you got pastors that have been added 100 families in 12 months. It's just like, wow, my small thinking. That's why God said, I am exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. I challenge you to start asking, and I challenge you to start thinking and watch God grow it. I remember there was a pastor that really opened up that verse to me because he was, he was believing for a, a jet, a plane. So he could load it up with food and supplies and take it over to countries that needed it. I mean, that's a pretty big feat. To get a a jet to just take materials over. And he was reading that verse. I can do anything I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly. So God says, Why don't you believe me for a fleet of jets? I mean, just expanding your thinking, just blowing it out of the water. Here I am thinking. Believing God for one plane, and that's a big deal to me. But a big deal to me and a big deal to God are two different deals. The first thing you got to realize is God is not limited by you. And what we think limits us, and what we think our resources are, and what we have to use, God is not limited by that. We're about to find that out. Let's keep going here. <clears throat> Let's repeat verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. See, what's she doing? She's going ahead and letting him know. I don't have what you're asking me. I don't have it. And then she states what she does have. Only a handful of flour and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks. I mean, this is minute stuff she has. That I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, my Bible says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that God has great plans and a great future for me. But that's not a great plan and a great future. I'm going to eat some bread and die. Me and my son. Not exciting. And so now Elijah's in a predicament where... He's been blessed, he's been supplied for, and now he's at this lady's house and she can't even take care of herself, much less him. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your sons. Notice here, she only had enough to make the small cake. That's all she had. So he's stretching her. Go ahead, you can do that, but make it for me first. Then afterward, what's he doing? He's speaking to what's going to come. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. He's saying... You will be supplied for and taken care of. Why can he say this so boldly? Because he was just supplied for and taken care of at the brook. He's looking back on God's faithfulness. Verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. You notice here that God is just looking for obedience. I mean, we just saw back in verse 5 that Elijah was obedient and said, The Bible says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Now in verse 15, ten verses later, it says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, which was given to him by God. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Elijah. Notice here, first thing, God is not limited by what you're limited by. So here's what God's looking for. Here's what God's looking for. Because could God have just made the bread appear? Is He that powerful? Of course. But look what God is doing here. He just wants to know... What do you have? And see, when we're tired and when we're weary and we have this heaviness and it seems like the world is just weighing on us and situations and circumstances are just weighing us down, first thing is that you get, you get to looking inside instead of outward. You start looking inward. You start looking at your problems. You start looking at your situations. That's where Elijah was. He's was looking inward. I just need to take care of myself. And God had to quickly switch that and say, No, I've placed you on the earth for more than just taking care of yourself. I've placed you on the earth to take care of others. And in this drought, and in this period of no rain, I'm able to not only meet your need, because was his need met when she made the cake? Yes, it said that she and he and her household. Now, this drought lasted about three years. You read further on down. That means for three years, they had plenty of oil. For three years, I'm not talking a week. I'm not talking a month. I'm not talking half a year. Three years, this drought lasted. There was plenty of flour. There was plenty of oil. And they were able to eat the entire time. Feed herself. Feed him. But the first thing, first thing that God asked for was, what do you have? And in our tiredness and in our heaviness and in our weariness, God is still asking us, what do you have? What do you got? You know, I've used the example before when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, these guys have been in slavery for over 400 years, 430 years in slavery, in bondage, haven't owned a thing. Everything they own belongs to someone else. They're told when to wake up. They're told when to go to bed. They're told what to do day in and day out. They're told what they can own. And now they get the entire nation of Egypt's riches. Supernatural. That was the supernatural. We're thinking, wow, God's showing himself. And then guess what God does? Now bring it to me. How dare God ask a bunch of people? I mean, that's like living in the slums all your life and then getting a job and, got, and you, you get your first paycheck. And then God says, now let me have it. This is how God works. What do you have? We've all got something. We have all got something to give. No matter where we're at in our life, no matter how beat down, wore down, tired, no matter how little is coming in, and you feel like you've got nothing to give out, you've always got something to give. And so he asks this lady, What do you have? And she said, I don't have it, but. See, we always, we all got that, but. We all got that. I don't have that, but I do have this. And so we see that God has immediately put him in this position, put Elijah in this position, not just to meet the need of himself, but to meet the need of someone else, because God has no limitations. Now let's go over to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. I know these aren't your... Typical Wednesday night passages. But God is looking for what we have. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now this is a similar story. This is now Elisha. For those of you that don't know, Elisha ministered and traveled with Elijah. Elijah. And when Elijah passed, Elisha said, give me a double portion of your anointing. And Elijah said, well, if you see me, leave this earth, then you will have it. So Elijah was caught up in the clouds. He's one of two men in the Bible, one of three men in the Bible that did not die a natural death. Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus. Elijah just gets taken up on this chariot of fire and just rides up into the clouds, into heaven. Did not die a natural death. And Elijah saw it take place. And upon his life was placed a double portion anointing it. If you actually go through the Bible and look at Elisha's life, he did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And he did a lot of the same miracles that Elijah did. Elijah uh, was able to cross a, uh, across a river on dry ground, Elisha did it. And now here we're about to see Elijah do something that's very close to what Elijah did. Verse 1, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons To be his slaves. Once again, a situation that we probably can't really understand. I don't know how much money you've ever owed in your life, how deep you've been in debt, but I highly doubt that they came and said, if you can't pay this, then we're taking your children and they're going to come work for us until you can pay it off. It's probably not happened. Dire situation. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Now that's a funny question. She just told him the situation. It should be obvious. And he says, what do you want me to do? God is always asking, what do you want me to do? He's always asking that. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Once again, the audacity of God to ask someone in a situation like this, what do you got? I mean, he just got done asking, what do you want me to do for you? Dot, dot, dot. What do you have in your house? What do you got for me? That's what you want me to do for you? What do you want me? What what can you do for me? Let me tell you something real quick. This, This life that we're living on earth, is not sitting back and watching God do a bunch of awesome things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God gave man dominion in the earth. You know what he set up that day? A partnership. A partnership. And in a partnership, one or more parties carry weight. And we've been sitting around thinking that this thing is all about just If you pray enough and if you believe enough and if you read the Bible enough that these things are going to happen. But this is a partnership, which means God is always looking at what are you going to do to see me move? What are you going to do? What do you have? What are you going to bring? Now, is God able to help this lady? Out of her little debt problem here. Sure. Of course he is. But look what Elisha asked. Elisha says, What do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant, again, has nothing in the house. You notice both of these ladies answered with, I don't have enough. See, we always think we don't have enough. That's always our first response. We always think that we don't have enough for God. The first lady said, I don't have a cake. I don't have any bread in my house. But here's what I do have. Now we see her. I have nothing in my house but a jar of oil. Now how in the world is a jar of oil going to help somebody get out of debt? That's the question we ask. See, maybe the thing that you have isn't what you think is necessary to get you out of what God is trying to get you out of. And so we just assume we have nothing. But we find out that we actually do have something. We just need to use whatever we have. And God will do the rest. So, she has a jar of oil. How does that get anybody out of debt? I don't know. Verse 3, then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. And the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. So not only did God provide for her to pay off the debt, he has provided for her to live off the rest. Amazing. Now this could have stopped at, I've got nothing in my house. So God, you do something. I'm just going to sit around and wait for you to do something, God, because I've got nothing. I'm a widow woman. I don't have a husband working in the house. They're going to take my son, so that's that doesn't matter. I'm badly in debt. I got nothing. But instead, she gave God what she had. Instead, she stepped up and said, "Look, I, I don't I don't know how this is going to meet this need, but I'm going to use it. If, if you're just if you just want to know what's in the house, if you just want to know what I got, why? Because God isn't limited." See, God is the one that can take the oil and turn it into paying off debt. God is the one that can take one cake and make it last for three years. God is the one that can send you by a brook and cause that to not dry up until he says dry up and have birds feeding you. We can't do any of that. But every single one of these positions... Every single person we just talked about, Elijah, Elisha, and both women, all of them required one thing, obedience. What if Elijah said, God, that's crazy, that's stupid, to just go sit by a brook and just wait to die. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go find food. What if that would have happened? What if Elijah would have said, you know what, I'm not leaving this brook. I mean... Why would I want to leave? This is everything I need. I'm hidden. Nobody knows I'm here. I'm just going to stay here and die for the rest of my life. I'm just going to stay by this brook and drink from it and birds feeding me. I mean, that's that's class, That's class. classy service right there. That's room service. Why would I want to go down and now not only do you want me to leave here, now you want me to go to some woman that can't even take care of herself. What is she going to do for me? See, these are these are thought processes that thought processes that we have. This is stuff that we think about. And then when God tells us to use something, or when He's asking for what do you got, then we, we can't we can't think of anything. Well, God, I don't I don't have anything. What do I have that you can use? What's in my house? How is this gonna get me out of this? It's not our job to connect the dots. It's just our job to put the the dots on the paper. Now here's some points that I want to point out to you. Number one, only God has the answer. First thing you've got to realize, only God has the answer. See, a lot of us are turning to the world to answer a problem that the world gave us to begin with credit cards got me in debt so i'm going to go to a worldly system and get a loan to get out of the credit card debt and so and so we just keep chasing circles a doctor tells you you have this wrong with you so we limit ourselves to what the doctor can do to fix it and god is saying i have the answer To your problem. Only God has the answer. Only God has the answer. Do not go to the world to fix the problem that the world gave you. And you've heard me say it many times. When you go to the world, you limit yourself to what the world can offer you. Bottom line. You limit yourself to what the world... If you go to the world for a loan, then you are limited... their percentage rate you are limited to how many years it's going to take you to pay it off you are limited to the amount that you have to pay per month and God is just saying I've got the answer, trust in me only God has the answer number two do it when you don't feel it this is probably the biggest killer of them all is we wait till we feel something spiritual to do something spiritual. We wait till we feel God in it before we do something that God wants to move through. We're sitting around waiting. Do it when you don't feel it. There's another story of Elijah uh, where there was another drought. God liked to bring famine on people I, I don't know what it is that, that's I mean you, you kill the, you kill the source of the seed you kill uh, you kill the source of the food and eventually you get people dying out you know and so there was another time where Elijah there was a there was a drought in the land and these three kings get together these three kings get together and they say uh, they come to Elijah and say we need you to call down rain. You're a man of God. You're a prophet of God. Talk to him for us and tell him we need some rain. And so Elijah tells him to do this. It's amazing. God didn't just say, okay, I'll bring rain. Here's what God said. It's in Second uh, Kings chapter 3. God said, tell the people to dig ditches. That's crazy. Tell the people to dig ditches. You know what ditches were? Ditches were an irrigation system. What good is an irrigation system if there's no water? But what's he doing? Do it before you feel it. See, a lot of times we're looking for God to just come with a light down from the clouds and open up the heavens and speak in a loud voice and say, you're doing so awesome. You know what? I'm going to change your situation. I'm going to make it all better. But here's what happens a lot of times, and we just saw it in two separate passages. God, when he speaks, will give instruction. God, when he speaks, will give instruction on to what to do to get out of where you're at. See, and this is why it's so hard, because when you're tired, that's the last thing you want to hear is someone tell you to do something. It's the last thing you want. I mean, that's like coming home, and you are just starving, and then someone says, well, there's all the stuff in the kitchen. Go make a meal. That's the last thing you want to do. That's the call the pizza place up, stop at Chick-fil-A on the way home, call your husband or wife and make sure they got dinner going, because when I get home, I'm ready to eat. How do you, you want to get home and your spouse is saying, hey, are, are you hungry? Uh, there's a whole kitchen full of food. Go make you something. I hate that. I, probably, I hate that with a passion. I'll walk right back out the door, go down to, go down to McDonald's, pick me up something, and go home. Uh, you kidding me? I've been working all day. I'm starving. But that's what God does. He brings instruction, He brings direction. So, point number three be ready to work. Get ready to work. Digging ditches is hard work. And it's even harder when there's no rain. Because you ain't drinking any water. To refill yourself, you notice that God told them to do something that would be necessary when the rain came even before they had it. See, I, I ask myself questions. What will we do if a thousand people came in here Sunday? Where will we put the kids? Do I have enough guest cards? Do I have enough chairs? Do we have the parking space available? What do we do? Do we have someone to direct traffic? Because you know it will be a mess with a thousand people. Telling you right now, this is stuff we have to think about because God wants you. See, God is not waiting for you to get into what he has for you to start doing what's necessary there. And see, this is going to hit home for some people. What is God asking us to do to prepare? See, we're, we're believing God for more finances. But what are we doing with the finances we have today? Are we following what he says to do with it today? Because if you can't obey him with a hundred, how, how does he know you're going to obey, obey him with a thousand? God wants you, 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 you're believing God for a new house. But yet the house you have today, you're not taking care of or doing what you need to do with it today. You want a new car. I mean, I, this was this went with my natural dad. I asked him for, some, for a better something. You know what my dad always did? This is no lie. He always went to what I had and saw what I did with it. I want a new laptop. Okay, what are you doing with the laptop you have now? I want a new car. Okay, how how are you taking care of your car now? Why am I going to get you a brand new car and you're not taking care of the 10-year-old one that you have in your hands now? And again, God is looking for obedience. He wants to know, are you obeying me with what you have in your hands now? Come on, I mean, we're trying to get out of tiredness. We're trying to get out of weariness. We're trying to get out of heaviness. We're trying to get out of these struggles and these battles. We're trying to get past all this. And he's saying, let's just focus on where you're at today. Because if you want to get there, you've got to prove to me here. See, that's why God was, there. that's why Jesus, when he told that parable, the master was able to give him, okay, to the one that had five, you made ten. To the one that had two, you made four. What did you do with what I gave you? He wasn't expecting the man with two to come up with ten like the man with five. He was just expecting for them to do both the same thing with it. Stewardship. And so I know I'm talking to a lot of people that are tired, that are weary, that have got the heaviness, and it just seems like Every day is a struggle. Every day is a battle. Every day is something new. And, and you're, you're fighting it, and you're putting the word out there, and you're, you're praying, and you're believing, and you're standing in faith, and we're doing all these spiritual things, but, but God is saying, I've put stuff in your hands. What do you have? What, what, how much oil do you have? God is always looking to do something with what you already have. Jesus turned water into wine. He didn't just... So what did he do? Tell, those, tell your servants to go fill up those pots with water. What? Why? We need wine. We don't need water. Instruction. You got a, a mountain full of people that have been following Jesus for three days. And they're starving. They're hungry. The disciples said, let's just go in town and buy everybody food. We're talking close to 20,000 people sitting out on the side of a mountain. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of food that you need. And what does Jesus do? He starts handing out instruction. Tell them to sit down in groups of 50. Instruction. Now go find me someone who has food. Well, we've got this boy over here. He has five loaves and two fish. Bring it to me. I'm going to tell you right now, these miracles that we're talking about, when they were happening, they probably did not seem as miraculous as we, break, we make it out to be. Because when, when you break off a piece of bread and you give it to somebody, there's nothing miraculous about that. What was miraculous about it was the same piece of bread fed so many people. Not only that, but there was leftovers. But as he's doing it, to this person doesn't seem that miraculous. To this person, doesn't seem that miraculous. To this person, but when you look at the whole broad scheme of things, it's, wow, we're 10,000 people down the line now, and we still have the same piece of bread in our hands. Peter and John, right after the day of Pentecost, man, they're going through, they're excited about the power that just come on them. They're excited about everything that's happening in their lives. The church is being born, and they come they're on their way to the temple and there's this gate and there's a lame man sitting there. He's been lame from birth. And he's there begging alms. He's just looking for money. That's all he's looking for. No expectation. He's not thinking, oh, hey, these are those two guys. He's just looking for money like he's looked for from everybody else. And Peter and John say what? Silver and gold, we have none. But... What I do have. See, God is always looking for what do you have. Don't tell me what you don't have. I don't want to hear that I don't have enough money. I don't want to hear uh, I don't have a good enough job. I don't want to hear... uh, He doesn't want to hear it. He wants to know what do you got. And this is how we get out. I mean, we're talking about some desperate people. We got a guy that's got legs that don't work. We got a lady who's about to cook cook her last meal and die with her son. Man, I don't know how close you guys have gotten to starvation. I've never gotten so close where I thought this is it and I'm going to die. Never gotten that close. We got a man who is literally sitting by a brook of water, drinking it and waiting for birds to come feed him. And just hoping that a bird comes by that night. Like it had last night. Like it did that morning. These are dire situations. And if God has the audacity to ask them, What do you got? then He's sure going to ask us, What do we got? And so my answer to you tonight is Are we thinking outside? I heard someone say this last week. They said, Think outside the box. But use what you have inside the box. See, when we get this vision, and, and, I, and I'm applying this in my life, because man, I'm, I'm thinking outside the box like nobody else right now. With the church, and 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 even in my own personal life, I know there's more that God has for me. I'm thinking outside the box. But here's the key: don't wait till you get outside the box to use what you have to. To, to put things into practice. And there are a lot of people in the world and Christians that sit around and wait for things to happen instead of making it happen. And God is not a sit-around, wait-for-it-to-happen kind of God. We have just seen that God is a use what you got and I will move you past that. Both of those women that we just read about, both of them lost their sons to death. Lost them. They died. And guess what? Elijah in the first story and Elisha in the second story raised their sons to life. You know why their sons came back to life? Oh, because God's a good God. Sure. Because God can bring life to people. Sure. Because God can raise the dead. Yep. But it was because they did something with what they had in a season where it seemed like they had nothing. Because I'll tell you right now, for both of those women, as awesome as it was to see the jar never end, as awesome as it was to be able to make a cake until the drought ends, none of that compared to losing your child. They're probably thinking, man, I'd go back to that. I'd go back to only having a little bit of oil if I could just have my son back. I'd go back to only being able to make one cake a day if I could have my son back. Sure they would. See, and we always think that it's worse where we're at today. We don't know what's up ahead. But you know why they believed? Both of them went to the prophets. The first one went to Elijah. The second one went to Elisha. Both of them demanded, demanded, that they raised their son back to life. You know why? Because they saw God's faithfulness. If God can cause a, a jar of oil to never empty, he can bring my son back to life. If God can continue to allow me to make food, not only for myself, but for my household and for the prophet, for three years, then he can bring my son back to life. What are they doing? Looking on God's faithfulness. I'm telling you, when you get in your worst crisis, when you get in your worst situation, the best thing you can do is look back on God's faithfulness. Has he restored your marriage? Has he he healed your body? Has he taken care of your family? Has he provided for you financially? Has he kept you safe in certain situations? Has he brought lost loved ones into the kingdom? I mean, we've got to start looking at God's faithfulness. The Israelites failed in the wilderness because they could never look at God's faithfulness. I mean, and we all do it. We think, man, those stupid Israelites. We all do it. He parted the Red Sea. That's not a small little body of water. In fact, it says that it took them all day to cross the thing. That's a long walk. In the middle of where you got water on this side and water on this side, and you're walking through the middle of it on dry ground. I mean that's and what? A week later, a few days later? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. And so what is he what does God do? Get the water out of the rock. Tell water to pour out of a rock. <laughs> my gosh, how great do I have to get with my miracles? And so then they they go on and then they complain it again. Same thing. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Okay, well, let's have manna fall from the sky. Uh, let's have birds bring them a meal in the evening. Uh, go ahead and tell that rock to bring forth water. Again, I guess they need second time's a charm. Need an encore. Hey, God, can you do that water out of the rock trick? Uh, Amazing. And so we always think that our situation that we're in is worse, and we always have to look back on God's faithfulness. If that's all you have to hang on to, If your tiredness and your weariness and your heaviness is all you have to hang on to, hang on to his faithfulness. Hang on to his word and do what he asks you to do. And don't be surprised when you pray to God and you tell God about your situation and where you're at. Don't be surprised if he says, here's what I need you to do. Don't be surprised when the instruction comes. Don't be surprised when he says, okay, uh, I can do that for you, but here's what I need you to do for me. Don't be surprised when he comes to you and he says, all right, what do you got? What do you got in your house? Well, this is all I got. Okay, let's do something with it. Let me work through something you have. He's always going to do that. He's always going to do that. God is not going to bring the miracle outside of using a a man in the earth. Using his people in the earth. That's what he wants to do. That's that's how he's bringing life to our situations. No matter what our struggle is, no matter how tired, no matter how weary we may be, we have to continue to move. You, You keep it's almost like you've got to look in both directions because you're keeping your eye on the vision. God, I know you've promised, promised me this. God, I know you told me we're going to do this. God, I know you said you're going to bring this to my life. But I don't see it right now, but I remember what you did back here. And I remember what you did for me last year. I, know, I remember what you did for my marriage. I remember what you did for my... And, and God is asking, what do you have in it? You may be wondering, what in the world does that have to do? With my situation, and what he's looking for is just obedience. God, I'm believing God. I'm believing you that uh, that my parents are going to get saved and going to get born again. I, I know they need to know Jesus. They need to, they need to know about this kingdom and they need to come live in the kingdom. And, he, and God says, I want you to give this to this person. Well, what 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 does that have to do with my parents? Being I mean, I'm asking you to bring someone along their path. I'm asking you to give me the right words to speak to them. I'm asking you to illuminate the work. And he's saying, no, I just need you to obey me in this. Here's what you have. Here's what I'm asking you to do with it. Don't look for the connection. Just put the dots on the page. Don't try to connect the dots. I'll connect the dots. And for somebody here tonight, I don't know who it is, I don't know how many people it is. But somebody here tonight, you've been asking God, you've been telling him, I've been faithful. I've been doing that. I've been, I've been using what I have. And he's telling somebody here tonight, he's saying, just remember my faithfulness. Keep using what you have, what is in your hands, what I've placed in your hands. And stay obedient to me. Don't lose sight of the vision. Don't lose sight of what I've called you to do. I mean, I'll tell you right now, pastoring a church is not easy. Um, I heard some statistics last week. They said last year, 2011, uh, 3,400 churches in the United States were started. That's awesome. 7,000 were shut down. Twice as many. 7,000. 7,000 churches were, closed their doors in 2011. <clears throat> they said, someone told me this. Uh, Jimmy, you can play that song real quick. Uh, someone told me this. They said um, uh, somebody did some kind of scale test where they said uh, that pastors on the re- level of respect. No, they first they said pastors on the level of um, being the hardest job in the world was number four, behind the President of the United States um, and a couple other ones. You can turn it down just a little bit. Then he gave another one that said, on the level of respect, is just above a car salesman. Yeah, just above a car salesman. And so, you know, and and someone else had told me this was just a coincidence that I heard this before all this. And, um, you know, and it hasn't been hard for us. I mean, it's been good. It's been awesome. We've got an awesome body. We've got awesome people here that are excited about the church and excited about the growth and everything that's taking place. It's awesome. But most churches don't make it past the three-year mark. And so I'm asking myself, God, give me vision expand my vision he blew up my vision last week and and so we're asking the thing is is i got to i got to use what i have today that was the underlying theme of every message i heard and i don't know if it was just me i don't there was three separate ministers that preached three separate messages and the underlying theme was quit trying to be this Quit trying to be where you think you might be 10 or 15 or 20 years from now and just use what you have today. And so that's where we're at. Now, my question to you is, is what do you have today? What do you have in your hands? What do you have access to? What do you have that God is telling you, just be obedient to me with this? You have vision. You know where you want to be five years. You know what you want for your family. You know what where you want to be career-wise. You know where you want to be uh, uh, in church-wise. You know where you want your family to be. And he's saying, just be obedient with what I've given you. What do you have? If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes with me real quick. If that's you, just by raising your hand, If that